Welcome to the perfect place for imperfect people. This is the Local Church Podcast, and we hope this message both challenges and encourages you. Here's today's message. I'm so honored to be here today to conclude this teaching series called Paradoxical, where over the past five weeks, we've been looking at these seemingly strange and contradictory statements that God makes in his word, but we have found that they are spiritual and supernatural truths that have the power to set us free if we put them into practice. And so today, I want to talk through this final paradox found in Acts chapter 20, verse 35. You can follow along on the screens in your apps at home. Here's what it says. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak And remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, here's the paradox, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Would you read that with me? It is more blessed to give than to receive. That's a paradox though, isn't it? It's more blessed to give? Let's take a poll this morning. Let's see how true this is in our lives. How many of us believe it is more blessed to give than to receive. By show of hands, let me see. Yeah, all of you raising your hand. You liars, let's make it practical, okay? You say number one or number two, you decide which one you would rather do. Would you rather drive your abuela all around Hialeah looking for a pair of chancletas on your day off, number one, or number two, have your best friend come over and grill you some good barbecue for free? Which one? There's like two people saying one. They might be with their abuelas. I don't know. It's two, right? Let's be honest. Perfect place for imperfect people, right? Okay, how about this one? Would you rather give your money away or receive an unexpected tax refund check in the mail? One or two? Oh, but I thought all of you felt this more blessed to give than to receive. Okay, how about this one? Would you rather... Organize, prepare, and execute a promotion ceremony for your supervisor in his new position of vice president over your life? Or have your direct supervisor say, well done. I want to throw a party for you and give you a bonus check. Which one? (laughs) 10.30. You're being very quiet because you know that it doesn't make sense. People who say, hey, for Christmas... Don't get me anything. For for my birthday, I don't want anything. They're lying to you, men, and we know this, don't we? If you've ever heard from your spouse, hey, don't buy me anything. I don't want anything. It's a trap, isn't it? Unmarried people, men, listen, don't believe that lie. They want something. If you don't get them something, you're in trouble. But yet Jesus, what does he say? He says it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. It doesn't make sense in our culture today. How can that be true? Because there's two key words. Jesus says, first of all, it is more, meaning it's not wrong to want to receive. When we receive, we feel good. When someone gets you something, it feels good. But Jesus says it is more that there's a greater blessing connected to giving. There's a greater blessing when we are generous. And how many of us want to be blessed? Amen? 
We want to experience the blessing of God. But what is God's blessing? That's the question. Because we've taken God's blessing to mean many things that it isn't. Knock, knock. Come on, 1030. Knock, knock. Hatch. God bless you. <laughs> it took so much strength to muster up that terrible dad joke. But is that what God's blessing is? Oh, God bless you. Just to say things that don't really have an effect in our lives? Is that what God's blessing is? Just to speak words and say, oh, God's favor's upon you. Everything is good. Or is it something greater? Today, I want to talk through what God's blessing is as I teach through this paradox of generosity in a teaching, and I'm calling today a teaching because I'm going to do a whole lot more teaching than preaching because I think this warrants the time to unpack and understand. Today's teaching is titled, Giving is Better Than Getting. Giving is Better Than Getting. I stumbled upon this book called The Paradox of Generosity as I was preparing for this teaching series, and it blew my mind. That this book, The Paradox of Generosity, it's not a Christian book. It's not a faith-based book. In fact, it's written by two sociologists from the University of Notre Dame. Uh, last Thursday I said Notre Dame, and everyone's like, uh, Nordert, it's Notre. I'm like, same thing, potato, potato. These two sociologists from Notre Dame, they, they compiled this research to find out what makes people generous and what is the result of their generosity. Two sociologists, okay? This isn't Christian-based research. In fact, this entire research was funded by the John Templeton Foundation. Under the name of John Templeton, one of the most influential financial advisors of the past hundred years, who, by the way, said the greatest advice that was ever given to him, and therefore the greatest advice he can give to other people, listen to this, is to give 10% of what you have away. This was his greatest advice, that he's received and he gives. And so the John Templeton Foundation helped research and spent over a million dollars to determine what makes generous people generous and what is the result of their generosity. And they found three paradoxes. The first one was this, and this is countercultural. It doesn't make sense in our world, but it was proven that generosity, that giving away from your life doesn't just bless other people, it blesses you. And their definition of blessing was people who gave 10% of their time and their money away, they had a greater, a, a much greater, a disproportionate amount of more happiness than those who didn't. There was a direct correlation to people's generosity and their happiness. And it wasn't just money. It was relational generosity as well. It's calling up your abuela and your abuelo, you know, just to see how they're doing instead of just waiting for, for birthdays and holidays. It's, it's connecting with someone in the church and serving together alongside of them. It's being a part of a connect group. And when someone in your connect group, they experience a loss in their family, you provide a meal for them. They had found a direct correlation through research that Giving away generously greatly increases your happiness. They found a second paradox as well. 
The second paradox is this, that people who hoard onto what they have, they have greater levels of anxiety. And not just a little bit more, an incredible disproportionate amount of people who hoard onto what they have, they have greater anxiety than those who give what they have away. Why is that? Because you have more stuff and, and now you stress about that stuff and is this stuff going to mature? Am I going to lose it? It's the truth. Greater anxiety. To, to quote the, the great philosopher, Notorious B.I.G., Mo money, mo problems. They, they harped on this a little bit, and they said that in this country, for, for, for the, the general amount of people in this country, we, we have everything that we need, especially compared to the rest of the world, which a majority of people live in abject poverty, less than $2 a day to their name. And what they found is that people living in, in abject poverty they have more happiness than people who have all that they need here in America. The smiles on their faces, the joys in their hearts. And they prove that money really can't buy happiness. And when you hold on and you hoard what you have, your anxiety increases. But again, there's a direct correlation to releasing what you have and the peace that you have in your life. And the third paradox that, that they found, and this goes to the, 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 the double entendre of the name, the paradox of generosity. The third paradox that they found they spent a lot of time on was that even though this is proven, the overwhelming majority of Americans still are not generous. It's, it's a paradox. Generosity has been proven to increase your happiness, to bless your life, to lower your anxiety. Yet 97% of Americans do not give 10% of what they have away. They are not generous. And they gave four reasons why, but the number one overwhelming reason why people don't give generously is because they're afraid. They fear if I give away, then I won't have anything for me and my family. And that's understandable. But I want you to hear God's paradox of generosity. It's found in Luke 6.38. Here's what Jesus says. He says, give, let go, give away, and it will be given to you. Now, this was a, a, a society of farmers and fishermen. And so I want you to picture as Jesus is saying this, the context is people going out to the field to get the harvest and they have a basket. He says, give and it will be given to you in good measure, not with unfair scales, not with even fair scales. The, the scales are in your favor. Good measure, press down, you push it all so you can fill more. Shaking together, get out all the air pockets. Running over, overflowing, it will be poured into your lap. For the measure that you use will be measured back to you. What Jesus is saying is you don't have to fear. Because when you let go to God, God lets go of his blessing over your life. When you release what God has entrusted you with, God releases his supernatural provision and peace and protection over your life. And this just isn't one or two verses. This principle 
this paradox of generosity is found all throughout the Bible. In fact, Jesus himself talked more about this paradox of generosity than anything else, than heaven and hell combined. Why? Because it's the most countercultural part of the good news of Jesus. It doesn't make sense to us logically. God's kingdom math doesn't make sense to us. And this is why it's a paradox. Giving is better than getting. Like Jesus said, it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. How is that? What I want to talk about today is the tithe. Say tithe. If you've been in church for some time, you may have heard that word. Some of you today, you have anxiety because I brought up that word today. What is a tithe? Oh no, the pastor's talking about tithe. Hey, listen, we're, we're going to teach through this, and then the Holy Spirit is going to lead us in however he wants to lead us in our hearts. So what is a tithe? A tithe simply means a, a tenth. That's what it means. Ten percent. This is what John Templeton was talking about. Giving away a tenth of what you have. And the very first reference of the tithe is found in Genesis chapter 14. We have Abraham. He's just won a military battle against the king of Elam to return the spoils of what was stolen back to Sodom. And on his way back home to celebrate with the people, he bumps into this mysterious priest named Melchizedek. We don't know a whole lot about Melchizedek, but what a lot of scholars and theologians believe is that this was a, a type of Christ. This was an appearing of Jesus in the Old Testament. We'll talk more about this specifically this summer. But here's what it says, Genesis 14, 20. And Abraham gave him a what? A tenth, a tithe of everything. There was no law, there was no conviction that he had to do it. And this is important to understand. The very first time we hear of this concept of the tithe, it was out of thanksgiving. It was a sign of gratitude for what God had done, not a religious responsibility that had to be done. He was grateful. The next time we see tithing is 14 chapters later in Genesis chapter 28. It's Abraham's grandson, Jacob. God gives him this revelation, this vision that through him, he's going to have a lot of children and grandchildren and descendants so that the kingdom of God can be grown here on planet earth. And so in Genesis 28, 20, Jacob did this. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I may come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house. And all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. Notice he recognizes that everything he has belongs to God. This wasn't he produced something with his own hands and then he put it back into God's possession. No, he understands and he gave a tenth of what he had received back to God because it all belongs to him. Psalm 24, 1, it says, the earth is whose? The earth is the Lord's. It belongs to him. And... Everything in it. Here's the first big idea I want us to understand today. Write this down in your notes. We belong to God. Amen? And our belongings belong to God. Amen? Everything is his. 
We belong to God and our belongings belong to God. Everything is his. It's not ours. If it were ours, we would get to keep it. But I've done several funerals and I've never seen a U-Haul truck behind a hearse. You can't take what you have with you because it doesn't belong to you. It's all borrowed. God owns everything, but he entrusts us with what he's given to us while we are alive. He's a good father. We have a PlayStation in our house, and I let my children play. Don't judge me, okay? We let our children play it on the weekends after they've done all their homework and they've done all their chores. And so several weeks ago, uh, actually a few months ago, right around Easter, I was fasting, and uh, the Spider-Man game came out, and so I, I bought it for my, my kids because Spider-Man, he's the greatest superhero ever. Amen? Come on, perfect place for perfect people. That's just fact. That's truth. I'll preach on that some other day. So I bought them this Spider-Man game, and I'm watching my, my five-year-old play it. And this is not like Donkey Kong like I grew up with, okay? This wasn't like the arcade games that I grew up with. This was a sprawling world. This game is set in actual Manhattan. I mean, you see all of New York City and the landmarks where they're supposed to be and the, the, the height of the, the buildings. And, and so he's, he's swinging all throughout the city and then he misses his, his web thwip and he falls to the ground. And then there's millions of people all around. And I'm watching him play. I'm like, this is impressive. And the people are talking to him and there's, there's water and there's oil and there's like all these reflections and people engaging. I'm like, this is crazy. This is like the video games my kids are playing. So I said, hey, hey, let me try something real quick. And my son says, no, dad, no, 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 I'm playing right now. So I asked him a second time, this time with a little bit more authority. I said, give me the remote control. I want to play for a little bit. I know I said I'm fasting video games, but I just want to see something. Okay, son? And this little kid... He said, no, it's mine. Exactly. It's yours? No, 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 little five-year-old. It's mine. I bought it. You're borrowing it. I gave it to you, and I can easily take it back, just like I brought you into this world, and I can easily... You get it. You get it. Kids, all those parents were on the same page here, okay? It's not yours. When you show me the receipt, it's yours. But even then, you live in my house so I can play it, okay? Thank God he's not a father like I am. Everything is his, but he entrusts us with everything that we need in this life. And so he says, will you trust me back? It belongs to me. I've entrusted you. But will you trust that I am your provider? Or will you say, no, it's mine. This is out of relationship, okay? It was much later on that, that tithing actually became part of the, the, the Jewish law under Moses. In Leviticus 27, 30-33, it says, All the tithe of the land, whether it's of the seed of the land or the fruit of the trees, is the Lord's. And it is holy, meaning it is set apart. This, this tithe needs to be set apart for the Lord. And there are several dozen texts in the Old Testament that talk about this principle, specifically the law of tithing in the Mosaic law. But what you need to understand, we're not going to talk through all of them. What you need to understand was the purpose of this tenth to be set aside for God was to come together and remember all that God has done. To celebrate who he is. 
to provide for the ministers and the ministries of the, the, the plans of God and to take care of the three most vulnerable groups of people in that society. The widows, the orphans, and the refugees. We'll talk more about those three things specifically this fall. But you need to understand that this is what the tithe was given for. Now we go to the New Testament. The New Testament doesn't have as many passages speaking specifically about the tithe. But in two specific ones, in, in Matthew chapter 23 and Luke chapter 18, Jesus himself, when he, when he references the tithe, you need to understand he didn't reject the tithe. He didn't, he didn't come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill the law. And so he doesn't reject. In fact, he reinforces the tithe. He says, you are blessed if you give back to God. And what was a result of Jesus reinforcing the tithe? I want you to hear this. The followers of Jesus didn't tithe. The followers of Jesus didn't give 10%. They gave more. 2 Corinthians 8.3, they gave according to their means and beyond their means on their own accord. Not out of religious obligation, not out of following the law, but they generously gave above the tithe because they wanted to. What? Why? Because it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. Because they experienced it for themselves, and so they gladly gave to be a continued part of the mission of God. Say mission. Mission is one of the greatest differences between the Old and the New Testament. In the Old Testament, they were the people of God, and they were okay just being the people of God. But in the New Testament, the church today, we exist to connect people to Jesus and to one another. This is our mission this is what God allows us to participate in while we're here. We have a mission to, to love God and to serve people, to start churches that will love people. This is our mission, and we get to be part of it. And God uses the generosity of the church and the tithing of his people to get this work done. And we get to experience this here in this church. Every single week, we hear stories of, of how the generosity of God's people is making a, a good difference in people's lives. The food distributions that we do, the, the, the classes that we're able to teach uh, to encourage and equip the people of God. Next generation camps where students are experiencing the presence of God and on fire and passionate for him. Baby showers to celebrate moms who said yes to life. Book bag drive like we're going to do next month to help kids in our community who are in need. We get to be part of what God is doing. God uses the generosity of his church, his bride, and the ties of his people to meet these needs. Now, why 10%? If everything belongs to God, why, why not 2%? Why not 20%? This isn't in your notes, but, but I want you to understand this. Because the tithe, because the number 10 represents testing in God's word. 
When you see the number 10, it represents God's testing. God gave 10 commandments to test to see if his people would obey him in it. God sent 10 plagues over Egypt to test whether Pharaoh would respond and surrender or not. God gave through his son Jesus his parable of oil and 10 virgins to test whether or not the people of God, the children of God, would be ready for his return. God says the first 10% is a test to see, do we trust him? Are we grateful for everything he's given us? And notice I said the first 10%, not the last 10%, not I pay all my bills and what's left over God gets, not I need a new air condition this month. God understands that. Listen, God understands. He knows everything you need, but he wants to meet your needs. Will you trust him to meet your needs? I want you to take a look at this in Matthew chapter 6. Listen to this promise. It says, therefore, don't be anxious. People who hoard to themselves are anxious. Don't be anxious saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? Listen, for the Gentiles, the people who don't have a relationship with God, they seek after all these things, but your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Verse 33, but what? Say it louder, 1030. Seek first. First, the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all of these things will be added to you. Will you seek him first? Will you put him first? Or will you give him the leftovers? Think about any relationship that you are in. A love relationship. Someone that you adore. You're going to give him the leftover of your time? You're going to give him the leftover of what you have? No, you're, you're, no we, don't, we don't share our leftovers. We don't share the food on our table. But, but are we going to give them what, what, what is at the end? Or are we going to put them first? And I want to make this clear. God really doesn't even care about the percentage. God doesn't require 10% of the money you make. He doesn't want 10% of anything in your life. He wants everything. He wants 100% of your hearts. Because it's not about religion. It's about a relationship. Think how many love relationships end up in divorce because someone can't understand, typically the men in the marriage, that their family just wanted them, that their spouse just wanted them. But look at everything I've given you. Look at the home that you have and the car that you drive and all the things that I afford to the kids. I worked so hard to provide this and they miss. I didn't want your money, and wanted your heart. Think of all the children who are hurt because mom and dad buy them Playstations and Nikes and send them off to all these incredible events. But they've missed that the children just want the relationship. I think of all the giving churchgoers drop money in the envelope and make the check on the, the box and I did my part and I gave and I even gave the percentage and they missed that. God doesn't care about that. 
He wants your heart. He wants you. He wants all of you. And if we can't trust God with the first 10% of just our resources, can we honestly say that we trust him with all of our life? See, this is a paradox because we trust God for so many other things in our life. We take him at his word for salvation, that I'm set free, that I'm forgiven. I, I trust him with my future. I trust him with my children. I trust him with the direction he's heading me into. I trust him at his word except when it comes to my resources. God, you can have all of my life, but my wallet, that's mine. I trust you with everything, but my resources, God, I hold on to that. He wants our heart. He wants who we are. He wants us. Malachi 3.10. If we would learn to trust God, we would experience this truth. That giving is better than getting. I want you to listen to this promise. Malachi 3.10. The final book of the Old Testament. The bridge to the New Testament. Between the old and the new. The law and the gospel. Malachi 3.10. It says this. It says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. That there may be food in my house, says God. And then what does he say? What does he say? The only time those two words come out of God's mouth. Test me in what? In this, says the Lord Almighty. And see, if, if, if when you tithe, I will not open up the windows and the floodgates of heaven and pour out upon you so much what? Blessing that there will not be enough room to store it. Do we believe God's word? Is this God's word? Do we believe this? Or is God a liar? God keeps his word. God always does what he says. And he may not tell us how, and he may not give us clarity of when, but God always blesses his children's obedience. He always blesses his children when he commands them, when he asks them, when he invites them in, and they say, yes, Lord. He always blesses that. So what is God's blessing then? Because we've made it only money. If I'm hashtag blessed, that means I got the new car. That means I got the new, the new house, the, the, the big boat. What is God's blessing? God's blessing is the seen and unseen things that he does that grows our faith, our hope, and our love. Let me say that again. God's blessing are the seen and the unseen things that he does that grows our faith, our hope, and our love. So is God's blessing money? Sometimes. Sometimes it's financial. Sometimes it's the things that we can see and we hold. But if I'm honest with you, the greater blessing that I've experienced in my life, what has mattered far more than money in my hand, is the things he's doing in my heart. It's the peace that I have in the middle of my storm that he's with me. It's the joy that I experience when it doesn't make sense because the world around me is crumbling. It's the clarity about my, my future and the vision he has for my life. God's blessing overflows in every area of my life. 
because I trust him. Now, having said all that, as we end this series, Paradoxical, I want to personally say something that may seem very paradoxical to all you in church today. Something that doesn't make sense often to hear from a pastor. Maybe you've never heard it from a church before. But it's God's truth, and it makes sense, and it's paradoxical. You don't have to tithe here. You don't have to give. You don't have to be generous here at the local church or here on planet Earth. In fact, if you have to, don't do it. If someone tells you you have to, don't do it. That's not our heart. That's not my heart. I will never do that because that's been done to me and I hate it. If you have to do it, don't do it. In fact, use me as your excuse. If you're ever in, 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 in a meeting where someone's trying to get money from you or get you to sign the contract on the, you know, the vacation home or the timeshare or you're in someone else's church and, and they're saying, you must give, say, no, my pastor said I don't have to. You're guilting me, I don't have to. Because that's not my words, this is God's words. 2 Corinthians 9, 6, he's talking about generosity and he says, the point is this. This is the point. This is the, the period. This is what it all encompasses. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. But whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Like Jesus said, the measure that you give will be measured back to you. But it will come. And then verse 7. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart. Not what the chart says. Not what the pastor preaches. In his heart. Not reluctantly, not, man, do I have enough? Can I do this? Is this going to make sense? Not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver. If you have to give, don't give. If you feel manipulated into giving, don't give. If someone tries to guilt you into saying, if you don't give, you are cursed by God, call them a liar. Oh, but they'll reference Malachi chapter 3. They don't understand God's word. If they think that you are cursed just because you won't give money to the church, that's not true. In fact, Malachi is not even written to the church. Malachi is written to me. To the priests and the prophets and the pastors. And God is saying, what are you doing, pastors? Are you taking the generosity of the people of God and stewarding it well? Or are you using it on your own clothing, on your planes, trains, and automobiles, and building your name and not building up the kingdom of God? How dare you, leaders? We don't have to give. You don't have to give here to be loved by God. You don't have to give here to be part of this church familia. But the reason I share all this and stand before you today is because without any apology, I have been blessed because I've given to God. I give God my first and best gift every time I receive gratefully because I get to be a part of this.
You know, from the moment Jesus found me and rescued me at the age of 13, I, I, I told him I would trust him with everything in my life, and I began to tithe, and God has provided all of my needs ever since. When I was a teenager driving a, a beat-up hoopty of a Honda and didn't have money, I'd continue to serve God and give to God, and God provided all of my needs. When I got married to my wife and we had three children that weren't our own living with us in our house, we continued to be faithful to give to God and God took care of us and those three children. When we decided to plant a life-giving church and we left our other jobs that paid more than double what we were getting paid planting a church, for several years, God still met all of our needs. In fact, in those first few years, having significantly less than what we had a few years prior, God entrusted us to give more than ever before. When we found out my wife was pregnant and we didn't have insurance, God made a way. When we didn't have money for a down payment on a home, Finally, for our family, God provided a miracle. In 2020, when the pandemic hit and a financial crisis crippled America, after I just started working another job delivering groceries to make ends meet, we still trust God with what he'd given to us. And in the most challenging financial season of our lives and this church, God somehow entrusted my wife and I to give more than we ever had before. I've experienced his blessing. And because I love you, I want you to experience the blessing of God, his overflow over your life and over your family. So the final point is this. If you always hold on to what you have, you'll never experience all that God has for you. If you always hold on, you don't have to. You don't have to let go, but, it, but if you would let go to God, God would let go of his blessings upon you. If you would just release what he's entrusted you with back to him, you get to experience everything that he wants to do in your life. Because the more you give, the more he blesses, the more he provides, the more opportunity he opens up for you to be part of what he's doing. Final promise I want to give to you as the worship team comes out. 2 Corinthians 9, 8. Listen to this. Oh my gosh, this is so good. Some of you think you need to get high. God's word gets us the most high. Amen. 2 Corinthians 9, 8. This is so good. And God is able to make... All grace. Grace is getting something you don't deserve. It's the goodness of God that we don't deserve. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency, everything you need in what? All things, when? At all times, you may abound in every great work. Verse 11, you'll be enriched in every way to be generous. Generous in every way which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. When you release your resources to God, a supernatural, miraculous blessing greater than money 
is released upon your life so that you can live out the mission of God through your life. And you don't have to. Who you are matters far more than what you give here. But I know we're hurting. I want to challenge you to trust the Lord and see how he keeps it. You know, at the every, end of every service, we ask those two faithful questions. God, what are you teaching me? What do you want me to do about it? Today was a lot more teaching than preaching because I wanted you to see from God's word. God, what are you teaching me? What do you want me to do about it? How do you want me to respond? And what God puts on your heart, do that. That's what we want. We want you to do God's will in your life. Now, I want to make this very clear, okay? As I, as I talk to a bunch of serious faces here today, this isn't a, we really need you to give. Mariah, we're hurting right now financially. It's been hot this summer. You think it's hot in here? Wait till you go to hell for not giving. <laughs> no, it's not that. God has always provided for this place in the hills and in the valleys and as we continue to trust what he gives to us back to serve the needs of his people and live out his mission, God's gonna take care of this place, amen. What this is though, this is God inviting you to peace, to purpose, to being part of, of his plan to love and serve and rescue humanity. So what are you gonna do about it? You don't have to give here. But if not here, somewhere. God's desire for you is to be in a church where you can grow together as a family, serve together, and give. And I pray that it's here. I pray that you find this to be the perfect place for imperfect people that you find your purpose here as you grow and that you get to be part of all that God is allowing us to experience. But more than anything, more than what you give or where you give, I pray that you would understand the power of this paradox that it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. Thank you for listening to The Local Church Podcast. If you enjoyed today's message, we'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast and review and share what you learned today. You can connect with us at thelocalchurch.com or by searching The Local Church on your favorite social media platforms. We hope you join us next week for a brand new episode. And remember, you matter to God and you matter to us.